Good morning. Yeah, I like hearing hearing you guys say good morning. Yeah, there we go. Hey, hey. Ooh, a little uh, a little loud. Um, this morning. Well, why don't you go, guys go ahead and turn with me to Ruth. We're going to be in Ruth today. Um, we're going to look back over. We're actually going to look at the whole story this morning. Because as I was going through this a couple of weeks ago, uh, just for my own personal th- for my own personal study, it jumped out to me in a way that it has never jumped out at me before. In fact, it's it's kind of jumped to the top to the top of my list and and some of, as one of my favorite books. It's such a cool book because what it does. What we're going to see in this book is, is it sets up this whole dynamic of how God works through his people. It's in a way saying God is working without ever actually saying God is working. I don't know if you've seen those memes out there that's like, tell me you're something without telling me you're something. Well, that's this book. That's the whole book of Ruth. It's telling us God is in control, that God has a plan, that God is working without ever once saying God is working. We don't see him do a miracle. We don't see a prophet proclaim anything. We just see God's hand in regular, everyday life. I think we can identify with that, can't we? Regular, everyday life. So, with that said, let's let's do a kind of a quick recap of the book of Ruth. If we looked at Ruth, we could actually say it starts out as the story of Naomi, because that's really where all the focus is initially. Um, And Naomi's story, Ruth's mother-in-law, is a story of tremendous tragedy. That's how it starts out. A story of tremendous tragedy. And so as we walk through it, let's begin there. Ruth chapter 1. Let me get to it here. And what we see is the story of Ruth begins during the time of the judges. We don't know when in that time. That's a pretty long span of history, the time of the judges. But we do know one thing because it comes up again and again in the story of the judges. And that is, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the story of the judges. That's the environment that this entire account of Ruth takes place in. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and that's not a good thing. The story of Judges is a story of just ridiculous sin and depravity and one thing after another. And then a judge will come along and kind of restore things, and, and, and as soon as it all is okay again, once again... They did what is right in their own eyes, and they descended, and the and Judges just descends deeper and deeper into sin. And then it ends with the statement, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Open the book of Ruth. Psalm 36, the one that we began with, that Sam read for us this morning, kind of captures that heart, at least in the in the first few verses. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. Pay attention to what the psalmist is saying there. 
The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed, and he sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. And then in that psalm, it's, it's as if there's an implied but God coming right after that. This is the state of where everything is, but God. But God, his steadfast love, extends to the heavens. That's the contrast. Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, and Chilion, or Kilion, have to leave their home because of famine. That's the beginning of Ruth. I cannot imagine, as a parent, I can't imagine, there are few things that I can imagine as bad as watching your children starving and not being able to do anything about it. That's their situation. That's why they live Israel and go to Moab. Moab, historically, enemy of Israel. Lots of stuff goes on. In fact, in Judges, Moab conquers Israel at some point. Then a judge restores them and so on and so forth. But they conquer Israel. This, this is a last resort. And then Elimelech dies. Malon and Kilion marry Orpah and Ruth. Roughly ten years goes by somewhere in there. And they die. Naomi is left with no one. She has her daughters-in-law. But her husband, her children. But God. Naomi and Ruth the Maobite. And all throughout this book, that's how they refer to her. Ruth the Maobite. Moabite. Return to Bethlehem. Ruth is the sole provider of the family. Goes out and she starts gleaning in the fields for any scraps of grain she can find. It's dangerous. It's difficult. And in normal cases, it would provide very little. Because the farmers and the, and the farm workers, the farmhands, they do their job. But there are scraps left. And they say, don't pick that stuff up. Leave that for the people who are so desperately poor They have no other option for food. They can come and gather up the scraps. That's gleaning. And that's what Ruth was doing. But God. Ruth gleans in Boaz's field who has compassion on her and watches out for her. That could have been the end of the story right there. Like that's that's pretty astounding in a time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. But God. Naomi knows Boaz. He was a close relative who had the ability, the right, actually the obligation, to redeem the family. In other words, to keep the family name from disappearing and the family land from being lost. Do not underestimate the importance the ties to the land were for Israel. It was God's promise to them. And their identity within the tribe and the people of Israel, that's why we see so many genealogies. All of this stuff mattered deeply because it was all tied to the covenant with God. And if Naomi were to die with no husband and no children, that's lost. But God. Naomi instructs Ruth on how to approach Boaz and tells her he will know what to do. Ruth follows Naomi's instructions except on one point. 
She does exactly what, what Naomi tells her, except on one point. She doesn't wait for Boaz to tell her what she should do. She tells Boaz what needs to be done. If you read back through the story, Ruth tells Boaz what she wants. Basically, she asks Boaz to marry her according to the law and tradition of Israel. But don't forget, this is Ruth the Moabite, not Ruth the Israelite. In most cases, that would be a deal breaker. But God... Boaz agrees, but there's another who would fall, who, who this obligation and privilege would fall to first. They could step in and redeem Naomi and Ruth and the land that belonged to their family. But God. Boaz redeems Ruth, they marry, and they have a son. Naomi is redeemed through Ruth, her husband's line will not end. She has a grandchild. The one who had returned empty, God has blessed. Again, Now, nowhere in that story do we see God intervene. He doesn't perform a miracle. There's no prophet involved. No proclamation. We see, as we said earlier, people in everyday life. A farmer taking care of his employees and crops. A widow taking care of her elderly mother-in-law. An older woman who has lost hope that there is anything more for her. This This is a life we can identify with. The Bible presents life as it is. Not a polished version of things. Not a pie in the sky. If you follow and have enough faith, everything will be great. It presents life in all of its painful reality. All of the sin-cursed reality that we live in every single day. And we would be without hope, but God. So, as we get into this, let's look for God's fingerprints, because they are all over this story. But before we do that, let's pray and ask God to help us to understand it. Lord, we come before you today, recognizing that you have blessed us beyond measure, simply by giving us your word. You have revealed yourself You've revealed your ways, and you've given that to your people so that we could know you deeply and personally, and that we could follow you. Oh, Lord, through the work of your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds today. Give us understanding and give us strength to apply what you show us. Give us ears to hear your voice in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're introduced to Naomi right off the bat. And Naomi has lost all hope. She's a widow, as we've said. Her sons have died. There's no grandchildren to carry on the family inheritance. And and as we said, families were intricately tied to the land, which was intricately tied to the covenant uh, and promises of God. And where we really see how hopeless Naomi feels is when she returns. So she's been gone for more than a decade at this point, her home was Bethlehem. And she, they had left because of famine. She heard that the famine was over, and she had lost everyone. She returns. And when she returns, she's met by 
a bunch of the women of Bethlehem. Presumably, they knew her years ago when she was younger and, and, and all of that. And here's how it goes down. In Ruth 1, verses 19 through 21, it says this. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. That's Ruth and Naomi. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this, and the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Names mattered in their culture. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? You see her hopelessness? She believes that God is against her. She believes that all that has happened to her is because God has turned his face from her. And that raises that question. Where is God? Doesn't it? When we, and I know some of you have gone through some terrible stuff in here, hard things, that question comes up, doesn't it? Where is God? Where is he when we're going through this? Where is he when we're hurting? Is he against us? Has he brought calamity upon us? That's how it feels. But God. You see, here's where we return to what God has revealed about himself. This is why theology is so important. Theology, as I've said in youth group many times, is not a bunch of books written by a bunch of dusty old white guys. That's not what theology is about. I mean, maybe it's written by some dusty old white guys, but that's not what it's about. The reason we study theology, theology is simply the study of who God is so that we can know God, what his character is like, what he's like, how he works in the world, and what his promises and his plans are for the world us and the world. Our picture of who God is, what he's like, and what he is doing is our theology. And the reason why we study this, the reason why we spend time in God's word and get to know what he says is so that, well, part of the reason is so that when we get into these times, when we face the difficult things and the question, where is God, is in the front of our mind, we have a deep well to go back to and we can say, no, I know what God is like. He has revealed himself and I've seen him work in his word and even in my life. But I've seen his work in his world, in his word. And I know that God has not turned his back on me. Why? Because his steadfast love is enduring. It lasts forever. Right? We go back to that Psalm 36. We get past the part where it's talking about the depravity of, of sinful man. And we see when it, what it, how it describes God. Your steadfast, O love, or your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. The psalmist knew that they were not abandoned by God. Naomi was not abandoned by God, and you have not been abandoned by God. It might be that there are those in here who really identify with Naomi right now. You feel like you've been the target of God. But what we see in his word is that God is at work 
even when you don't feel it. He was at work in Naomi's life, though she could not see it in that moment. God brought Ruth. God is working through Ruth. God brought Ruth into Naomi's life. Who would have thought a Moabite daughter-in-law would be the means by which God would do his work in Naomi's life when she had lost hope? What an unlikely candidate. But God is writing a story. And Ruth's bold face in that faith in that moment was exactly what was needed in Naomi's life. To the one who feels that they may or have lost hope, you are not alone and you are still in God's story. And notice this. As hopeless as Naomi felt, she did not cut herself off from others. She tried. She told Ruth and Orpah, go home. There's nothing for you with me. There's no husband. There's no family. Go back to your family where you can be taken care of, where there's a possibility that you may remarry, where you can have a life. And Orpah resists for a minute, for a little bit, but eventually she's like, yeah. And she's not wrong to do that. That wasn't wrong of Orpah, by the way. But Ruth, well, that's a different story. Ruth wasn't having it. We'll talk about her in a minute. This is where we see God's methods at work. God uses people in our lives. He uses people in your life. Don't push them out. That's our first reaction when we're hurting, when we feel lost. We feel like we're a burden. Don't push people away. They are the means by which God is working in your life. And then there's Ruth. Ruth is an impressive person. Don't forget, Ruth is grieving also. She lost her husband. She doesn't have kids. She's grieving just like Naomi's grieving. But Ruth is in a different place. She hasn't lost hope. In fact, she discovers her faith in her grief. Because when Naomi tries to push her away... God meets her. She's faced with a decision. We all come to places where we're faced with a major decision. Crisis of faith, if you want to use some, some of the old terms. But we see it in Ruth, uh, when, when Ruth responds to Naomi in chapter 1, verse 15. And she said, Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. And this is the great, this is so good. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Where is God? God is at work showing compassion to Naomi through Ruth. That's where God is. 
He's working through Ruth to show compassion to Naomi. To care for her elderly mother-in-law. That's real everyday life, isn't it? But in that moment, that's also where God meets and ministers to Ruth. God's working through Naomi to direct Ruth to the one who will redeem them both. When they get back to Bethlehem, watch what Naomi's doing. She's instructing Ruth. She's telling Ruth how to live in this new culture. She's telling her where to go glean and what to do. Stay with the women, those kinds of things. Guiding her, instructing her. God is using Naomi to direct Ruth to where she needs to be. Oh man, God's fingerprints are all over this. Ruth enters God's story when she not only binds herself to Naomi, but she puts her faith in Naomi's God. She puts her faith in Naomi's God, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, creator of the heavens and earth and all that is in them. The focus up to this point had been on Naomi in this story. It suddenly shifts to Ruth. Ruth is now the central figure. Perhaps you feel like that outsider. See, Ruth was an outsider in Israel. And we can't forget these things. She's grieving and she's an outsider. She's in a place where she, in all other circumstances, wouldn't really belong. Maybe you haven't yet trusted God to save you from your sins. To make you part of the family. To guarantee your inheritance for all eternity. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're the outsider looking in right now. Let me tell you, there is a place for you in this story. The invitation is now. Whatever we're experiencing in life, we have opportunities to trust God in faith. In doing so, experience Him and His providence in deeper and more and more meaningful ways. Do you believe that? Do you believe that whatever you're going to, whatever you're going through, there is opportunity there to trust more deeply and to experience God more personally? And more significantly, to actually grow in your relationship with him. For Ruth, this meant not allowing her grieving mother-in-law to push her away, but caring for her regardless of the cost. We see her faith lived out. We, saw, we see God's compassion in Ruth's faith, and we also see God's provision in Boaz's obedience. Enter the third person in this story, Boaz. A farmer, fairly successful farmer. He's got farm hands. He's got people leading the, the, the teams. He, he can afford to go away and then come back for a while and trust that everything's taken care of. He's doing well for himself. He's also compassionate. When he comes back, he notices the one who's out of place in the fields. And in a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, he looks after Ruth when others probably would have taken advantage of her. He was a man of godly character, which he lived out in obedience to the Lord. And we see it in Ruth chapter 3. In Ruth chapter 3, starting at verse 8, it says, At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Kind of jumped ahead in the story, but what happened was, Naomi told Ruth, he's, she said, this guy can redeem you. Here's what you need to do. A little bit of a weird situation. It's like, go find him when he's asleep and lay down at his feet. When he wakes up and notices you're there, he'll tell you what to do. 
it's, there's a gap between their culture and ours. <laughs> but at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. That's, that would be the, the same. Um, startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet, and he said, Who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, remember back in, in chapter 2, and then back in Psalm 36, it said the Lord spreads his wings. This is, this is common imagery of being brought under the protection of the Lord. And here we're seeing it tied to the Lord providing his protection through his servant, Boaz. But she said, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do, all, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, and if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Boaz knew what it meant to live within a covenant relationship with God and his people. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Boaz, on the other hand, did what was right in God's eyes. He knew the law. He knew God. And so, Ruth presents him with an opportunity to honor God by acting as the kinsman redeemer for Elimelech's family, and he responds. Once he said yes, we see him sitting at the gate the next morning, waiting for the other potential kinsman redeemer to come by and get this whole thing straightened out. Boaz is a man of action. He didn't wait. That morning he was there. His obedience was not delayed in one bit. Never underestimate what God can do through someone living a simple life of compassionate obedience. Boaz is how God gives Naomi and Ruth the family they so badly needed. Simple obedience today might lead to a chance to make a huge difference in someone's life. Simple obedience today may lead to a huge chance to make a difference in someone's life. This week we saw history in the making, the overturning of Road versus Wade. This is a huge victory for those who have been praying for and working to protect the lives of unborn children. I'm not, not going to beat around the bush. It's a big deal. But we also know this. There are going to be many people who are hurt, angry, and afraid that government has taken away their rights as a human being. We've seen You just have to flip through the news or social media, and that's obvious. And I think we can identify with that, right? We can relate to that. The fear that the government is going to take away or start uh, passing laws or legislation that squashes our ability to live according to the morals and the values that we, de- <laughs> that we think are important. 
might be able to have a little taste of what that feels like here. They may take away some of our privileges. A lot of people are going to be hurt and angry and maybe a bit fearful. My question to us is this. Will our simple, everyday faith lead us to be compassionate in the way that Boaz is compassionate and the way that Jesus is compassionate? That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were completely at odds with Jesus. We were, in his words, enemies. And he showed us deep compassion, so much so that he died for us. Is that what our lives are going to look like in the circumstances we find us ourselves right now? God uses compassionate obedience to invite others into the story. Boaz saw the opportunity in front of him to provide for someone. Will we see that in our, in our lives? Will we see that in others? But as far as seeing God at work, I've got I to warn you. You might not see God working all this stuff out when you're in the middle of it. Oftentimes, we see it in hindsight. We have to look back. Naomi saw it in hindsight. In Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, we see where it finally all comes together. And she doesn't even say it. It's told to her. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the woman and the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. God has restored. That doesn't bring back Elimelech. It doesn't bring back our other two sons. But now she is in a family again. God's provision is overflowing in this. There's so much here. We, we see God working to provide through people in quiet, everyday ways. We could, pro- we could and probably should meditate on this for quite a while to stop and consider this and really think it through. However, if that's all we see in this story, if we stop there, we have missed the most important point of the story of Ruth. Spent this entire time talking about this, and yet if this is all we see in this story, we've missed the biggest point, the most important It doesn't end with Boaz. This story doesn't end with him and Ruth having a baby along with Naomi as, as grandma and becoming a family with everyone living happily ever after. That's not the end of this story. The end of this story is, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. 
The story ends with their child, Obed, the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David, and from the line of David comes Jesus. The redemption story of Ruth points to the redemption story of us all. It points to Jesus. There is a much bigger story being played out here than just the story of Ruth, Boaz, and Naomi. Yes, that story matters deeply. It's part of the overall picture. And it falls into line with this much bigger story. The story that is God's story. The story of redemption. The story of Jesus. So, as we prepare to close in prayer, I want to ask you to consider this. Every one of us, like Naomi, begins in a place without hope, separated from God and condemned in our sin. But God in his compassion is at work. He brings us to a place where we're faced with a decision. Will we be like Orpah and stay where we are, outsiders and widows and widowed, separated from God? Will we return to our own gods? Or will we be like Ruth? Will he be our God as we follow him? Like Ruth, we go to him for redemption because we have no ability to redeem ourselves. This is how we become part of God's grand story of salvation. And every one of us matters. We are all part of that story. See, Ruth was a Moabite, the enemy of God, and yet God redeemed her, brought her into the family. And every time we read the story of Jesus, there is her name. In the line of Jesus. God worked through her to bring his son into this world. There will come a day when every time the story of Jesus is told, we will see your name, my name, every person's name who's put their faith in him because he makes us part of his story. Forgiven, Redeemed and adopted. And he's calling us to trust in him, believe in him, and follow him. Will you respond to that invitation? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for all you have done in us. We are so grateful for the story of Ruth and how it, how it shows us your work in our lives. That... It's just, you work in the most normal and mundane of situations. But your work is powerful. It's miraculous. We may not see a miracle, but every heart that's changed is a miracle. The dead have, made, have been made alive. Adoption has occurred. We've brought someone into your family. And Lord, you make us your people. And we will spend eternity together and with you. Father, we look forward to that day when all sin is removed. When, when the earth and the heavens are made new and they become one. And we spend eternity in worship and work and service. 
All of it, Lord. All of it to your glory. With no tears, no suffering, no sickness, and no death. We look forward to that day, and we, we say, Lord, come. Come quickly, Lord. We pray, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.